Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal to simplify big ideas for greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, welcome to episode number 21 of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I'm your host, and I hope that this conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. As many of you are well aware, this year, 2020, has been a roller coaster of a year filled with all kinds of challenges. And one of the issues that has emerged, or at least has gotten a lot of airtime, is the issue of justice. The need for real, unbiased, liberating, and good legal justice. Along with this has been the discussion on a, on, on a growing media platform of human trafficking and the issue both inside of our country and around the world. And today on our podcast, I got to interview a man who is part of an organization that is actually doing something about the unjust systems in our world that allow and make room for awful oppression like human trafficking to actually take place. This is a very eye-opening and heart-wrenching conversation conversation. So uh, before you listen to it, be sure to have some tissues by your side as you listen to it because it is a deep dive in a very dark part of our world about um, the evil going on in the world, but also about the gospel and how it is transforming our world. Uh, John Good is um, the guy I'm talking with. He is the church mobilization director for an organization called uh, International Justice Mission, IJM for short, and they are dedicated to putting an end to the worldwide slavery that is taking place right now in our world, which, believe it or not, is actually worse now than it has ever been. And so here's my conversation with John. Well, it is um, it is a big honor of mine to have John Good on our podcast. Uh, John, welcome. Thanks, Skylar. Great to be with you. John, you work for a pretty incredible organization um, called International Justice Mission. Um, but before we kind of get there, can can you share a little bit about yourself, you know, your story, and then how you ended up working for um, this incredible organization? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm based in Minneapolis, and I was a pastor here 20 years ago and took a group of students to the university uh, student missions conference in the year 2000 and heard a speaker I'd never heard of before. His name is Gary Haugen. Okay. And he was the founder of a new ministry called International Justice Mission, IJM. And he spoke about things I'd never heard about. He talked about justice, biblical justice, in terms that I'd, I'd never experienced before. And it was very powerful. I brought these students that I uh, brought with me back to our church in Minneapolis, and I I was serving as the mission pastor of a uh, Presbyterian congregation. And I told my boss, the senior pastor, hey, I just heard this speaker. We ought to see if we can get him to our church. And so at the time, IJM was three years old. Okay. Relatively new. And Gary Haugen was going to speak anywhere and everywhere. Anyone who wanted him, he would go. So we had Gary come and speak in our pulpit. And he lit everyone's hair on fire. <laughs> and uh, I immediately had a brand new justice team, which I'd never had before, all these people who wanted to do something about justice. So that was my introduction to IJM. It was as a pastor with a church that encountered justice in a new way. And our church ended up partnering with IJM, and we actually gave uh, 
funds that helped launch IJM's office in Uganda in the oh, year wow. 2003. So then fast forward 15 years and I'm find myself working for Gary Haugen at IJM, which I'd never in my wildest dreams thought I would, would do. But I've been with IJM now for about four years and I work with our, our church partners, primarily in the Midwest. Okay. Um, well, John, can you do a little bit, um, help help us? I, I, I think there's a lot of people who may not know um, who International Justice Mission is. And um, yeah. can you just share a little bit about, you know, what do they do and what is their vision? And- yeah. So IJM's core mission is to protect the poor, people who are poor from violence. Mm. And we do that by partnering with local authorities to rescue victims, to restore them back to health, and then to restrain the the perpetrators. And eventually our end goal is to restore the public justice system, to to repair it so that it is actually functioning the way that it should. And public justice systems are functioning the way they should when they are protecting not just the rich and powerful, Hmm. but the poor and vulnerable. So that's IJM's mission. And our secondary mission, quite frankly, is to engage the church. Because we believe that the the Church of Jesus Christ is God's solution to the world's most intractable problems. And sometimes I look at churches that I've pastored or that I'm now involved in, or I look at me as a Christian and I think, are you kidding me? We're the solution? (laughs) Don't you have a plan B? But I don't think God has a plan B. I, I think uh, I think God knows exactly what he was doing, and we are the solution. So IJM's second mission is to engage and involve churches in the solution uh, that for the problems that uh, have to do with injustice. That's awesome. You know, and part of... Um... Part of as you know, I've kind of researched. I I, I have um, Gary Haugen's book, um, The Good yep. News About Injustice, and it was just it was a fantastic book. It was one of my college textbooks, uh, one of my missions class. But one of the things that kind of comes up that you guys encounter quite a bit is um, slavery, and I mean yep. that's a part of a, a injustice, a, a non-just system, you know, a, a corrupt system, and so. Um, for I think most Americans, when they hear the word slavery, they think this is something in the past. Like this is something passe. We don't deal with this anymore. Can you bring us up to speed about the real life condition that is go- going on in the world with slavery today? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Uh, most people, and I would have put myself in that position about five years ago. Most of us believe that slavery is in the past because it has been made illegal basically the world over. Hmm. So it is now against the law, not of course in our country, but in every other country in the world, to my knowledge. And so our belief is, well, that's it. I mean, it's done, so it's not happening. The, The sad and painful reality is that there are probably more people enslaved now than at any time in human history. Wow. So clearly, the passing of the law is not enough. There has to be enforcement of those laws. So that's where IJM is focusing our attention on not advocating for the passage of 
laws against slavery because that's already been done. But how do you work with functioning or sometimes not very well functioning governments to enforce the law? So let me give you some figures. The, the global slavery index, and that's something that any of you can find on the web. Uh, the global slavery index uh, estimates now that there are 40 million people enslaved in the world. And wow. I just want to define the term here. When I use the, the word slavery, I'm not talking about it in a metaphorical sense, uh, the way the Apostle Paul did, right? When he says we're slaves to sin. Yes, I, I believe that and I agree with that, we are. But that's not the slavery that we're talking about. We're talking about 40 million people who are held against their will and forced to do something they would rather not do for little or no pay with no means of escape. Mm. There are 40 million of them. And 40 million, just to put it in context, 40 million is larger than 160 countries in the world today. So imagine wow. if we were aware of a country which had an entire population enslaved, we would be outraged. We'd say, this, there's something wrong here and we need to do something about it. But somehow 40 million has slipped under the radar. And I think it's because we have deluded ourselves into believing, well, it's against the law, so it's probably not happening. And unfortunately it is. So IJM has made that one of our primary areas of focus is to end slavery, both the, the trafficking of people for labor and for sex. Mm -hmm. Those are the two primary areas of slavery that, that comprise what is called modern day slavery today. Okay, so th those are the, the, the two things that when we talk about slavery, um, we're talking about um, uh, people being forced to work and, um, for little to no pay, uh, with no, right. no means of escape, and then the sex trafficking uh, that's going on. So those are the two, the two avenues that, that people right. finally fall. And the sex trafficking is, is making someone money, right? right. So that's, and that's why it's so prevalent, is it's a big moneymaker. And when you traffic people, and they are seen as products, as commodities, which they are, uh, they're, they're devalued to the point of, you don't see the humanity, at least that's, I have to believe that slave owners do not value or see the humanity of the people who are being trafficked. But, but the great value that's done there is that this is a commodity that is not exhausted. Once it's used, it can be reused. And as awful and horrific as that is, that's why it makes so much money, because uh, mm -hmm. you don't have to replenish once it's used. And so the, the horrific reality is that when a young girl is trafficked and held against her will, she may be forced to service you know, multiple clients a day, mm -hmm. and it just makes her trafficker more and more and more money, and he doesn't have to replace her. It's when you begin to talk about it in those terms, that's when the, when the reality of, of slavery 
begins to form, at least for me, that the pit in the stomach, which makes me realize this this has to stop. This can't continue. It's just wrong. Man, so John, what um, IJM? Um, I mean, this is this is it's really depressing to hear this. Um, and IJM has devoted themselves with the mission of stopping this, putting this to rest, um, ending this, enforcing these um, uh, the laws to end slavery or to make it illegal. Um, and part of what that means is actually rescuing um, victims of, of trafficking and slavery. So um, as much as you're able to share, like, what does that actually look like from, from the beginning of the operation until the end of the operation? How do you know when it's successful? Yeah. So we have uh, 19 offices in 11 countries throughout the global south where we are doing this work in partnership with local government. So we as IJM employees, we have no legal authority to rescue on our own because then we would then be the kidnapper, right? I mean, we, so we, we always have to find a way to partner with local law enforcement. And sometimes that means that we are training them on how to do their jobs because they are so ill-equipped or ill-resourced uh, that they just have not been functioning well. So part of what we do is we have staff who are uh, investigators. Mm. They could be former police, they could be former soldiers, but they will work alongside and often train the police on investigative techniques and then accompany the police once they are ready on the actual rescues themselves. So if we're busting down the door of a brothel, the cops will lead the way, but often at the beginning, IJM staff are right there with them, helping them. Uh, so that's the first step is doing the hard investigative work to find out where is this happening and what's the best way to actually rescue. Uh, the next step then is to restore because if a young girl has been traumatized repeatedly for weeks or months or years, mm. she's, she's in need of healing and restoration. So we partner with local aftercare shelters and we have social workers on our teams in all of our offices who are the ones vetting these aftercare shelters to make sure that they meet our standards and sometimes, again, that means we are training them or we are equipping them on how to do their, their aftercare even better. But that's the next step. So re rescue is the first step. And then restoration is the next step. And sometimes that can take years, uh, depending on how long someone has been trapped either in a brick factory or in a brothel. So those are the first two steps. Um, and that gets to your uh, that gets to your rescue question about how we do that. So there there are some organizations out there that are doing fantastic work uh, rescuing uh, trafficked people, women, young girls primarily, and they're doing that by paying off the brothel owner or the owner of the brick factory and releasing the enslaved people. 
which is obviously fantastic for those who are released. But it's also pretty good for the, the brothel owner because he just got a payout with no punishment. Yeah. So IJM, to your point, we go the next step. And since we were started by a bunch of lawyers 23 years ago, we have no problem going after the bad guy. <laughs> we think that's what breaks the cycle is you have to make these people pay for their crimes. You have to enforce the law that they are breaking, that they have been breaking often for years. And they've been breaking it because there's never been law enforcement. They've never been punished. So again, that's where the justice system may need some training. Uh, and sometimes there might be some corruption so you have to begin running these cases through the system and find out where's the breakdown. Uh, and wherever the breakdown is, that's where we'll try to provide a fix. So yes, to your point, there's rescue, then there's restoration. But the third step is to restrain the criminal. Mm. And that's where law enforcement uh, then has to be, in, has to come into play and there has to be prosecution and hopefully conviction so we, we have staff throughout the world praying for swift and severe sentencing for these bad guys. Yeah. We want to make them pay because that's what sends the signal. Because what we have learned at IGM over 23 years is that slave owners are not particularly brave people. They're opportunistic people. It, it, they're not doing this out of courage. They're doing it because they can get away with it. Mm. Wow. But once wow. they can't get away with it anymore, often that's enough to begin to break the cycle. So that's the third, the third step is restraint. And then just to complete, we have four, four R's, rescue, restore, restrain, and then the fourth one is to repair. We want to ultimately repair the broken justice system so that it now begins to function to protect the poor and the vulnerable as it should. And when that happens, IGM, we want to leave. We, we don't want to be a, a permanent presence. That's what the government is there for. Yeah. Uh, so that's our, our long-term goal is to repair the broken justice system so that we can go somewhere else and start the process over again. Wow, that's really cool. Um, I love that. I, I love. Um, I, I love. It's it's holistic. You know, it's not so much. You know, you know, like when you go on a mission trip as a church. You know, you you go into the area. You know, you build a house. You do a VBS. You do all that, and then you leave. And there's not. You know, with there, there's like a part of it that you're kind of meeting and and helping out with. But I mean, with the vision that IJM has is, is a more, com I guess, more complete picture with not just coming in and, you know, um, sweeping the bad guys off their feet, but establishing a solid justice system that this can be, this can continue on. And um, right. so, so in the, I guess in, in, in your past, uh, in IJM's history, you used to, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but you used to um, show up to, I guess, these brothels and bust down the doors and rescue people and then um, throw these other uh, bad guys into, um, into prison and they would, they would get their sentence. But things are a little different today. I don't know, is, is I guess, is it... Uh, is it is it still um, the same kind of um, 
challenge when you when you go to find find these these criminals? Is it um, has the has have things changed over the years? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what we found is that when you fight evil, evil does often fight back. And one way that evil fights back is finding a new form of evil. And unfortunately, we have seen that in the sex trafficking industry. Now, don't get me wrong, brick and mortar brothels still exist the world over. We've had great success in some cities and actually in some countries like Cambodia, um, IGM has been very effective in eradicating or severely reducing what had been a, a, an estimate of about 30% of sex trafficking in Cambodia had been minors about 15 years ago. Our latest prevalence studies showed that less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of sex trafficking in Cambodia was now minors. So we, we give God the glory for that. And, we think it's also God blessing the model that we have, that we've implemented and found successful. Having said that, uh, there is a new form of sex trafficking that involves now the internet, mm. where it's not so much a brick and mortar brothel, but it could be a laptop and a webcam in a remote village in the country where this appears to be right now most prevalent is the Philippines. So internet connectivity in the Philippines is quite strong and English is spoken uh, quite fluently throughout much of the country. And what we and the Filipino authorities have found now is that someone with a webcam and a laptop can make money by, um, by live stream um, and this is difficult to talk about, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm studying a little bit. It's called cyber sex trafficking, mm -hmm. where a child will be forced to, to do sex acts in front of a, a camera where someone in another country is paying for this to be done. And this is now prevalent throughout uh, the Philippines and is probably going to be moving into other countries as well. So that's now our focus in the Philippines is to work with the authorities not to find the brothel on the street corner but to to track down IP addresses and go into remote villages and rescue these children who are being trafficked by uh, sometimes it's neighbors, sometimes it's it's a uh, more powerful you know maybe someone who owns a corner store and I hate to say this, but sometimes it's a very desperate family member who's trafficking uh, his or her own own child or own relative. Mm. So it's a it's a horrific and awful and very dark and difficult type of work. But that's where we think the church is called to be, uh, and that's what we're doing now. Wow. Um, well, John, I um, I am I am without words uh, to kind of talk about that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned and is in order for things to kind of progress and to see um, real life rescue and change take place, you have to have a partnership with the local governments of wherever um, you guys see those, those areas. And I imagine if, 
if the, the government's totally corrupt and it doesn't want any part of your involvement, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, right. Can you talk a little bit about the justice systems and both how how is it that they contribute to the issue as well as the solution? Yeah. Yeah. So we operate with a, a Romans 13 model where Paul says that those in authority are God's elected uh, officials and we ought to obey them. And so we, we are there not so much to, to embarrass or to humiliate or to shine light on these broken systems and, and put them to shame because we don't think that's going to be very conducive to IJM's being around for very long. So what we try to do is find what is working well in a government. Where is the law being enforced well? And it might not, it might be hard to find. It might not be happening very often, very much. But if we find it, and we, we usually do, we shine a light on what's working. Mm. And then we try to praise that and run it up the chain of authority and say, hey, we think you're doing a great job here. We want to help you build on that and do that even better. And oh, by the way, our next call is going to be to the newspaper because we think this needs to be celebrated. Now, that is a very different message <laughs> than governments are often hearing from NGO, non-governmental organizations. Yeah. Often what they're hearing is you're hurting your people, get out of the way, you don't know what you're doing. And, and all of a sudden you are immediately at odds. So what we try to find what's working well and build on that because the justice system is complex, it's convoluted, it's law enforcement, it's prosecutors, it's judges, it's courts, it's social workers. And we believe that's God's intention for government as complex as it might be and we want to help that to work work well. Uh, you mentioned corruption, and let me give you some thoughts. IGM has seen a lot of it. We've experienced it. Uh, we get it. It's 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 a thing. It's out there. We at IGM have a theory about corruption, and we call it informally. We call it the ten eighty ten rule. Okay. Our belief is, in these corrupt countries or that's, that's too strong. In the corrupt systems that are not serving their people well, there's probably 10% of those in power who they are corrupt. They probably always have been, and you know what? They probably always will be. They're in it for the wrong reasons. That's probably not gonna change. We also believe there's another 10% who are just the opposite. They're in it for the right reasons. They got in it for the right reasons. That's never going to change. Their compass is true north. Those are the ones we want to go after. Oh. Because there's an 80% in the middle. And again, this is just our theory. That 80%, they're going to go wherever the winds are blowing. And who's ever getting the affirmation and all the goodies. And in too many of these systems, it's the 10% who are corrupt who are getting all the attention. And so the 80% are going that way. And now it looks like 90% are corrupt. 
we find that when we focus on the 10% to the good, we have a, we've had great success in drawing those 80% to that side. And because we think they're there, yeah. it, it just needs, and, and trust me, there's a lot of prayer that goes into this. Yeah. <laughs> and we are a praying organization. Uh, we spend an hour of every workday in prayer mm. because that's the only way we think this is going to work is if we get on our knees and, and ask God, Hey, do this because it's, it's too hard. No kidding. No kidding. Um, well, I think, um, that is, that is very enlightening. And that's also, um, what a, um, what a positive approach, you know, rather than just saying, Hey, I want you guys to know you're awful humans. You know, you're not doing a good job, you know, governing that does, it doesn't build trust. And, you know, no, you're going to, you're going to explode the bridge that you want to have established there. And I mean, just uh, affirming what's going on, what's good, looking for that. And then, um, moving in that direction. That's, that's really wise. And okay. And, just uh, and, and Let me just add one more thing, yeah. just to be honest. Once that bridge has been built, I want to be very candid. Behind the scenes, once that trust is built, we will then have some very difficult conversations sometimes and challenging conversations. But we found if you start with the challenge, the, the bridge doesn't get built. Uh, so once that bridge is built, trust me, there's some, there's some real back and forth. But that, that takes some time to build the trust, to allow those conversations to take place. But they are, they are happening mm. and they have to. How, uh, how, about how long does, does that whole process take to, I guess, establish that trust? Yeah, well, well, it's a great question. And it depends, of course, on, uh, it depends on the country, it depends on the system, it depends on the culture. It depends how long have things been off the rail, mm. uh, you know, and, and frankly, it depends on who is, what party is in ultimate authority? So we're, we're often praying for elections because, you know, once an election happens, all that trust building that we've done with those in power could change like that. And then we gotta, then we gotta start all over again. Now, now sometimes we want the parties to change because we're not having any, any luck with the ones. So, who are in power, but all of that adds to how long it takes. And unfortunately it can sometimes make it longer. Other times it can make it go a little quicker. Okay. Wow. Um, so I, I guess as Americans, um, when we talk about, I guess the issue of global slavery, um, I, I, you know, as, as Americans and me, um, you know, others, we, we tend to put blinders on and we only see what's right in front of us, which, I mean, we're not even seeing really what's right in front of us. I mean, you mentioned it. It's like human trafficking is happening in our backyard, um, to use yep. that kind of imagery. And so we're not, we're not even really, we're just not seeing where, you know, we're, you know, um, whether that's intentional or not intentional. Um, but we like to think that we are not, um, that that's not going on. And so can you shed some light? How are, I guess, Americans, um, our country, um, how are we being impacted, whether directly or indirectly from the slavery that's going on, maybe in our own backyard as well as globally? Yeah. Uh, 
in terms of locally, I, I don't know your county or your, your city well enough to know, but my guess is there's probably a local anti-trafficking organization nearby that's doing some fantastic work that would be a great opportunity for you as a church or as individuals just to say, hey, educate me and, and let me know how can I help. Uh, so, you, you know, for us here in Minnesota, um, it's impacting the, the average age at which a girl in Minnesota is first trafficked is 13. Mm, wow. And often it's runaway girls from, I live in the Twin Cities area, often it's runaway girls from beyond the Twin Cities who end up here in Minneapolis or St. Paul, and they're brought into uh, a trafficker's, you know, uh, into his web. <laughs> and so just being aware is the first step. I think that this is out there and and then contacting again local ministries or organizations to find out how can I raise awareness and what can I do to help. Uh, in terms of globally, what we at IGM are finding is there are some uh, some products that people like you and I buy regularly that have trafficking, have slavery in their supply chain. Wow! So it could be. Uh, it could be shrimp that's, you know, farmed somewhere in Asia. And we don't even understand that, well, who's working the fishing boats and what are the conditions there? And so there are ways that we at IGM have, have been brought into conversations with, with large well-known corporations whose consumers are contacting them and saying, hey, it's important to me as a, a buyer of your product to know that your supply chain is clean. And, and so we as consumers have that power to, uh, to look at the stuff that we're buying, whether it's, you know, the shirt on our back or the food on our plate and to ask, how do you get this? You know, yeah. who, who's providing this for you and what are their, what are the wages like? What are the conditions like? And if you as the supplier, as the corporation, uh, as the store, if you aren't aware, well, guess what I'm finding out as a consumer? I need you to find out if, if this is true, because if it is, well, I'm going to take my business elsewhere. That talks. <laughs> and, and corporations are stepping up and waking up to that and they're realizing that they may not have the capacity or the expertise to examine their supply chains. Hmm. So they're coming to organizations like IJM and saying, help us. We, we didn't know this was an issue, but if it's hitting our pocketbook, it's an issue. So how do you, how do you find out um, what, I mean, is that just a simple inquiry and, and you're just asking the companies? Is that, like, is there, is there a way that you can find out what, what products are actually a product of um, trafficking? Yeah, I think the organization or the website that I mentioned earlier, the Global Slavery Index, uh, that may be a good source. The International Labor Organization is another one that uh, 
I don't have these websites. I'm 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 sorry. I don't have the uh, I don't have them at my fingertips. But those are two sites that I could refer to, um, and I haven't been on them recently enough and dug down deep enough. But I think that they have some links where consumers can find out ways uh, to examine the products and the supply chains that are being used to provide their okay. stuff that we're buying. Okay, I, I'll check that out. And then I'll, I'll link those into our show notes. So if any if anybody wanted to go to those websites and, and do some investigation there, they can. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate that. That's, um, that's, that's, that's good to know, and it's something that you, we don't think about. And I know right, there's a yeah. little bit of, I guess, social pressure now with you know free trade yes. and things like that, which is it's kind of like what you're talking about. You know, if you you uh, you know you you put that kind of pressure out there, you know that expectation, things that eighty percent is going to is going to start to um, kind of follow in that direction. So. Yeah, and just one more thought about that. What, what we found is uh, some of these governments around the world, they have a high capacity to withstand people who are in the streets protesting or writing letters or sending emails. They can put up with that for a long time. But if an American-based corporation that is active in those countries and is providing a lot of income to those countries begins to raise concerns about the supply chain in those countries. That's what gets government officials' attention. Uh, so that's why those of us as American citizens, if we are uh, you know, giving business to American corporations that are working in other countries, that's kind of how that, uh, that domino effect can make a difference. Wow, wow, that's cool. Um, that's, that's really good to know. Uh, yeah. I have I haven't framed it up like that in my in my head. Um, so, uh, John, there is a lot of Christians who, if they're familiar with the Bible, they know what it says about how to be saved, and they're not as familiar as what the Bible actually teaches about our involvement to bring justice. And that's one of the things that you said. Like God doesn't have a plan B. We're it. We're as a church. <laughs> he calls us. So, what is I guess. Does the Bible, how does the Bible call Christians and churches to be involved in justice? And, it, and if it does, how in the world do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. It, at IJM, one of our favorite verses is Micah 6 8. You know, he, he's shown you, O mortal, what is good, but to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Three steps, right? Or three categories. Uh, the, the second one, loving mercy, I as a pastor, the church that I pastored, we got that. Acts of mercy and compassion, disaster response, relief, food, shelter, clothing, water, all over it. The third one, walking humbly with God. Well, that was ministries of evangelism and discipleship, building up the faith, you know, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news. Absolutely, all over it. But that first one, doing justice. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, go for it, but but how, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, it's there. It's it's just as important. It was for the prophets, and then you know, when Jesus, when he when he began his public ministry, who did he quote from? He quoted from Isaiah about uh, sharing the good news, but also clothing the naked and feeding the hungry. So it was acts of 
of mercy, compassion, and justice was in there as well. So for us at IJM, we want to provide churches. Remember I said our first mission is protecting those who are poor and vulnerable, but our second mission is to engage the church in the, in the fight. So we want to provide a tangible means by which congregations, denominations can get on board in the fight against injustice, because that has been a difficult nut to crack for a lot of congregations. For us, one of the first steps is to, is to break down what does the term mean? What does justice mean? Because when I think of justice, I often think of, well, that must mean fairness and equity. And those might be part of it, but the reality is because we live in a world where different people have different power, I don't think everything is ever gonna be equal across the entire world. There, there is going to be inequity. Yeah. Uh, and everything isn't always going to be fair. And so then my mind goes to, well, maybe justice is, is revenge, getting back on those who, who are bad or evil. And I don't think revenge is God's idea of justice either. And so we at IGM, we, we wanna paint a picture of justice it's a power issue. Hmm. Power is distributed in, in equally around the world, but how is it used? We think that, that we worship a just God who, even though power might be distributed unequally, like kings are going to have more power over the ones they rule. But how does that king, how do the rulers exercise the power? It can be done justly or unjustly. So that's the issue. Uh, so for us, one of the best ways at IJM that we found to look at justice is to define injustice. What does injustice look like? Now, for me, I sometimes think, well, injustice means when I get when I get cut off at a uh, you know at an on ramp by somebody who cuts ahead of me. Well, that's not injustice. That's an annoyance, you know. <laughs> but at our American mindset. We think injustice is when somebody is in the 10 items or fewer line and they have 15 items. That's, <laughs> that's an outrage. No, that, that's not injustice either. Injustice is the abuse of power. It's when someone takes their power and uses it to take from somebody weaker what God has given them. That's injustice. And what has God given all of us? God's given us life. Freedom. Uh, God has blessed us with possessions. So sometimes it's removing property, in, uh, using power to remove property or possessions. Uh, it's our physical health. That's what injustice is. It's the abuse of power. So to turn that back on its head, to do justice, we at IGM believe that means you find out where is the injustice happening and you take steps to address it, to correct it. And for us, again, that's been primarily trafficking. But again, you don't have to go across the ocean to find that. So longer answer, and I apologize, but uh, one way that we're trying to equip churches to do that, we have something called Freedom Sunday, hmm. where we provide the resources for a pastor or church leaders to begin to talk about 
these issues in new and fresh ways, ways that allow a church to, to know how to respond. Mm. Uh, so you can go on our website and look at all of our Freedom Sunday resources. There, there's, uh, there's videos, there's, you know, there's scripture passages that you can teach or preach about, but we're trying to make justice more tangible. And then another way that we try to engage people is through prayer. We have prayer partners. We at IJM, as I mentioned, we pray every day and we want to bring other people, people who have a heart for prayer into the fight. So you can go sign up and be a prayer partner. We'll send you prayer requests and then we'll send you praise reports of how prayers have been answered. Uh, And then the third way we have something called freedom partners. It's our monthly giving program where if you want to give some of your, your treasure to IJM, we'll put it to good use in our work around, around the world. And, and that will engage people's hearts, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's awesome. Uh, John, thanks so much for just kind of um, sharing that, how as, as a church, how we as a Christians um, can be involved and participate in that. Um, so often you hear something incredible going on and you go, I don't know what to do. Right. You know? yeah. And I mean, so much of the things that you guys, you guys do is way beyond my, our expertise. You know, like yeah. we couldn't um, all of a sudden hop on a plane, fly, fly to the Philippines and then expect to <laughs> bring justice. You know what I mean? Like according yes. to how we think it, but you guys are already there. And, right. you know, yeah. by us praying, um, supporting, uh, supporting you and, you know, kind of um, educating others about what's really going on and how we can really pr- participate uh, to help out. You know, that's, that's good. Um, well, John, um, I, I guess that was like my next, next question is how, how, how can we be involved? Um, John, I guess, is there, is there any last things that you would like to, to add about IJM, the ministry there, and just the topic of slavery? Well, I, I don't, I mean, you've allowed me an opportunity to share a lot. I really appreciate that. This is a, it's a complex issue. I love the purpose of your podcast to try to simplify big issues. This is a tough one. Yeah. It's, it's tough to talk about. It's tough to get your head around, your heart around, your arms around. Uh, we get that. So we're just appreciative of the opportunity to share about it. But we, we firmly believe that, uh, that w- wherever the, whenever the church enters into areas of suffering, that's when the church is allowed to thrive. Mm. Uh, so we think the church is at its best when it, when it finds ways to enter into some of the darkest corners of the globe because guess what jesus is there uh, we're not bringing him he, he's there with those who are suffering yeah. and they do have a voice they just need it to be amplified and i think that's where the church can help to amplify that voice and bring in the voice of hope and restoration and healing that is the good news of the gospel so thanks for the opportunity uh, to share John, it's really it's it's a real honor of mine to to have this conversation and to have you be present on our podcast on behalf of IJM. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you so much for everything that IJM does um, for um, the local community of America, but also globally. 
Um, may, may God continue to bless you guys and your ministry. So thanks so much again. Thank you, Skyler. And God's blessings on you and your church's ministry as well. Appreciate the time. That was a heavy conversation. And you know, sometimes I think we need a conversation like that so that we can take the blinders off because it allows us to see things from God's perspective. And when we see it from his point of view, it creates within us a desire to do something about it. And and that's my challenge to you today, to do something about this. I mean, it might be simply praying more uh, for the issues going on uh, around the world in your backyard. It might be volunteering with a a woman shelter or, or something along those lines, or maybe it's starting a shelter if your area doesn't have one, or supporting a ministry like IJM that is currently doing something about the issues of injustice in our world today. And if you want to do a little bit more research, maybe dive a little bit deeper into the stats, or simply take a next step by taking action on human slavery. Uh, As we kind of talked about in this interview, you can do so by going to the show notes. Uh, In this episode, I've included some links for more research, uh, resources, and responses for you today. Well, I hope that this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. 